Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1, going down to verse 7. Scriptures tell us this, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping, war, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you, Lord, for your words. You may be seated as we go into prayer this morning. Father, as we gather around your throne this morning, settle all of our hearts and settle our minds as we enter into this Advent season here, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Take a look at your word this morning, Lord, and what it says to us about that great event some 2,000 years ago. We want to come before your throne this morning and just remember those who are in need among us. For Lisa, as she goes to surgery in the coming week, pray that you would just give her peace and you would give her strength and you would allow her um, to be tended to in whatever way necessary. We thank you for the doctors and the nurses that are going to be involved in, in that whole process. I pray that you would just anoint their hands and their minds and you would give them wisdom and you would allow the gifts and the skills that they have, Lord, to perform the things that they need to, to the best of their ability. We thank you, Lord, for, for the blessing of medicine, for the ability to be able to fix things that are broken um, through the, the giftedness of human beings who you have blessed, Lord. Pray, Father, for Taj and for Flossie. Taj is had an up and down week, Lord. We just pray that you would continue to protect him. You would keep him from getting ill. That you would continue to raise his white counts. You would encourage him, Lord, in this time. You would encourage Patty as well, but most especially that you would just, you would protect him, Father, from getting sick. You would allow... Um, his immune system to grow in, in strength and to do the things that it needs to do. We thank you, Father, that the transfusions have been helpful. We pray for encouraging signs as they continue to meet with doctors to try and figure out what the next step is to bring the issues that he has with his blood under control. Pray your blessing upon their home for Flossie as well, that you continue to strengthen her in this time, that you would continue to bring her health back to where it belongs, Lord, and you would continue to have your hands upon her. For Mike Delisle and his entire family, um, trip they took down to Georgia or Alabama this week, Father, um, the news that they've received, I pray your blessing upon them. Pray for peace in this time. Most especially in this troubled time, we ask that your hands be upon them. We ask that you be with Mike and Jody this morning as they sit with their boys. Lord, that you would encourage them all, but that you would give a sense of peace and a sense of knowing that, Lord, in the midst of whatever news we ever get, whatever chaos we ever deal with, that Christ is king 
and that you are in the middle of that with us. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would watch over them. You would watch over the entire family. Father, we pray for the leaders of our country as we are in transition here into a new presidency. We pray for all those involved that you would continue to extend wisdom. Lord, we believe that when we pray to you and we ask that you would watch over our leaders and that you would extend wisdom, that you will do so. I pray, Lord, that on this end, we would receive that wisdom that you give, that we would seek your face and that we would ask that you lead and that you direct and that you guide. I pray for your hand to be upon this entire country as we shift into a new administration. I pray, Father, that we would park all of the, the bitterness the anger, the stupidity, the biting comments, and all of the nasty things that come from the way this world operates and that we would just be your people for your world and that we would obey the scriptures and we would just lift up our leaders to you each and every day and that we would ask that your wisdom would be imparted to them, Father, in the way necessary that we can be led forward in a good way. Ask for those, Lord, who are serving in the military, for Brady, for my son, for Zach, and for all those who we don't even know, Lord, that you would watch over them this holiday season, that you would bless their families and that you would watch over them as well. And that we would know a world that has peace and that our soldiers that are spread out around this globe in defense of that freedom would be able to come home in a way that brings honor and glory to you. We pray for places in our own country like Standing Rock, Lord, in the Dakotas, where there's still such bitterness and there's such anger and division, Lord. Help us to understand that every human being has value. Every human being was born in your image. Every human being, Lord, deserves to be heard. The moment we begin devaluing one human being over and against another, no matter what the situation, we end up devaluing ourselves and we remove you from the throne. Father, help us to be in prayer for places like Standing Rock, for other places that are unsettled and are in chaos that this holiday season we will be able to be lights in dark places. This world doesn't need more arguing. This world doesn't need more fighting. This world doesn't need more bitterness. What this world needs is the peace, the love, the gentleness in the order of Christ our King. May we be your people for your world. Help us to see these things as we look at your word this morning. Soften our hearts to be prepared for what it is we all need to hear for ourselves and then for our community. And most especially, I pray that your name would be glorified in all the things that are said here this morning and that Jesus will be lifted up and that we would be lights in a dark place. I give you the thanks and the glory and the praise. All of these things I lay before you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simply, I've titled a message this week after the very last song that you heard, it's called While You Were Sleeping. And we're going to be looking primarily at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And what I want us to really focus on this week is that the clash of the cultures, where the light, not a light, not some light, not a little light, but where the light dawns in darkness. We find that a child born, and we find that the son given, means so much more than we think, as a quaint little scripture verse that we tend to read only once a year at the Christmas time. 
And some months ago, I began praying and I began looking at what it was this Christmas season we would need as a body and what I believe that we as a community really needed to hear from the scriptures. And over the course of the past year, through the Psalms that we had this summer and other sermons that have been preached, songs, both sacred and secular songs, have spoken in deep ways to the ills and to the frustrations and to our condition as a culture and to our very hearts, if we're honest. You see, songs stir up emotions. Songs stir up feelings. They bring them to the front of our thinking with regard to what we as a culture are dealing with on a daily basis. They spark our hearts and they spark our thoughts and our sense of wonder and our sense of hope, depending on what the song is. And Christmas time, more so than any other time during the year, we find that this happens. And it's not just for those of us who believe the gospel. You see, at no other time of the year, however, is the clash of our culture, especially in this country, but in the class of our culture, is seen so clearly at Christmas time. And yet, never is it drawn so close together as a people around so many of the same feelings, around so many of the same desires, and so many of the same hopes that we all have. Any human being with any sense of decency at all has absolutely no desire to see a child go hungry. To see a family broken up. To see a little kid left out in the cold. To miss a meal or to miss out on even a small gift around a Christmas tree. Nobody with any sense of decency wants to see that. The feeling of wanting peace on earth and goodwill toward men is sensed by everybody, not just those of us in the church. You see, many state that this is what their desire is deep down inside, most especially at this time of the year, because it opens up the door for opportunity to feel that way and express it. The hope, perhaps, that finally this year, humanity's going to get it right. Yet there's this profound sense that there really is no way on earth that we as a people can do it on our own. If we are deeply honest with ourselves, we know that there is no way that we can do it on our own. You see, the coming of Jesus of Nazareth was more than just God with us, as Matthew says. It's all about how he will save us from our sins, in addition to Emmanuel, God with us. And identifying with that truth, which Matthew records for us in the first chapter, is the only reason that we can ever have peace on earth and extend goodwill towards men. We have to identify with that. You see, Luke records that for us, and unfortunately, we always cut it off before the end of that statement. And peace on earth and goodwill toward men is not the entire statement. Because you see, the angels declare that peace on earth will be among those on whom his favor rests. Which means in obedience to God, we find peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And only in him and through him. It's all in the context of bringing God the glory and how it is we respond and act towards one another. You see, it's right there, right there, where the clash of the cultures begin here in the United States and in the entire Western world. Humanity has to choose. We have to make a decision on this point. Are we going to give God glory and receive his son, or are we going to continue doing it our own way in the hopes that maybe this will be the year that we get it right? See, doing it our way is how we got in the mess to begin with, is it not? So trying to do the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting different results, by definition, is insanity. 
You see, it's God rest ye merry gentlemen or have a holly jolly Christmas. Which is it? See, Tim Keller in his new book, Hidden Christmas, says this. Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday, arguably our culture's biggest. The result is two different celebrations, each observed by millions of people at the very same time. This brings some discomfort on both sides. Many Christians can't help but notice that more and more of the public festivities surrounding Christmas, studiously any reference, just push it off to the side to its Christian origins. The background music in the stores is moving from joy to the world to have yourself a holly jolly Christmas. The holiday is promoted as a time for family, for giving, and for peace in the world. Now, on the other hand, non-religious people can't help but find that the older meaning of Christmas keeps intruding, uninvited, for instance, through the music of traditional Christmas carols. And it can be irritating to have to answer their child's question, what does that music mean, born to give us second birth? End quote. See, that's the plan for us this particular Advent season here at AGCC. My heart has been and still is to take all of these songs that we're going to look at over this season and see them and look at them in the light of why we sing these songs, as well as what the scriptures tell us of our coming king. After all, we are incarnation and resurrection people. I said that last week. I'm going to say that over and over and over again in this season. We are incarnation and resurrection people. If you take nothing else away from my talking today, hear this. Without the incarnation, that's the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, there would be no resurrection. There would be no resurrection. And without the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, there would be absolutely no valid proof of the incarnation or the virgin birth of Jesus of Nazareth. Each one proves the other. We cannot ignore one and accept the other. We have to have both. So to me, instead of fighting, instead of complaining and arguing about the secularization of the holiday, whatever we may feel about that, why aren't we being lights in dark places, as Isaiah talked about? Why aren't we being those lights in dark places, using these songs and many like them, which bridge the cultural gap that we deal with every day? as opportunities to love people and to share the gospel of Jesus, which is Emmanuel, God with us. See, I believe that we're going to find more opportunity than we will ever do so, just hollering as loud as the other person in the argument and complaining that the reason for the season has been lost and is forgotten. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be upset about those things, but it's unproductive. It's unproductive. You see, truth be told, it isn't lost. As Tim Keller has said, it's simply hidden. And as God's people, we have the privilege and the responsibility to make it known again. But to do so in love and with a gentle and quiet spirit, as Paul and Peter tell us. In love with a gentle and quiet spirit. What better way to do so so through songs that speak the truth as well as the scriptures, which declare our king has come and it isn't at all what you expected it to be. He's little, he can't walk, you need to change his diaper, he can't talk, and there's this serious question lingering in the background regarding his origin. Just who is this boy's dad? But the question I have for you 
is it really a question? You see, because some 700 years prior to the coming of this little boy in Bethlehem, a man by the name of Isaiah was assigned to task, the task of recording the words of God, every one of them that he gave him. A prophet during a very unsettling time for the people of Israel, he was called to speak judgment against them, the southern tribe. He was called to speak judgment against them, as well as to tell them of the hope that God had promised for them in and through the judgment and the coming of the Assyrian invasion. You see, he did so because they were the promises that he had made since before the universe ever even existed. You can only imagine what was running through Isaiah's head when he had perhaps spent the day writing about the coming of the Assyrian invasion and trying to figure all that out. And he can get this because he knows what's coming. And that the people needed to trust God and to be faithful in the midst of all of that coming trial. That's pretty easy because we can see it coming down the road like a big old Mack truck. That makes perfect sense. Nothing at all familiar that we would understand today, I'm sure. But he begins the next page of the scroll as he turns it over, he runs out of space, and then he writes this, but there will be no gloom. After talking about the condemnation, after talking about the judgment to come, after talking about the fact that God is going to be the one that they should have faith in, he then says this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the Galilee of the nations, or as some translations like the NIV put it, of the Gentiles. Now, what on earth does that mean? Aren't you and aren't we God's chosen people? I can hear Isaiah asking that question. The Hebrew nation, the descendants of Abraham, who you freed and you called up out of Egypt and you put into this promised land. Why are you talking about Gentiles and about a dark land north of this great city that we aren't supposed to have anything to do with? You see, this is an echo. This is an echo in the scriptures of the call of the people of Israel. God had called them to be a light in this world. That was their prime vocation. Obedience to him, be a light to the world. Show the people exactly how it's supposed to work. That's why he separated them from everybody else. But they had taken the light and they turned it in on themselves. So it was no longer shining outward. They had shut out the rest of the world instead of sharing the truth of who God really was. You see, Isaiah reminds them of this later in his writings when he says this to them, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Boy, doesn't that sound like Luke chapter 4? Doesn't that sound like what Jesus said? This is my task in time. They were called with a purpose. And not just to sit on a hill. They were called with a purpose to be God's people for God's world. Be a light in darkness. That hasn't changed. It's not a new story that Jesus shared and invented the minute he showed up on planet earth. As if this was plan B. That's not what was going on. This was from the days of eternity. That his people were to be a peculiar people operating in a particular way. Just like the church today is supposed to be a peculiar people operating in a particular way in this world. But they had fallen asleep at the wheel, as it were. We learned that this morning in the song that was sung for us. So for some 400 years, God went silent. Not a word. Nothing's being said. 
Not one thing was spoken to his people, then all at once, all at once, right when they thought that he had forgotten them, right when they thought that he had completely abandoned them, he shows up. In absolute surprise and in a way which mocked all of the kingdoms and all of the powers that be in this world. Now, Mark Hall says in this song here by Casting Crowns, he puts it this way, O little town of Bethlehem, looks like another silent night. As if to say, yep, it's been 400 years, you're going to put your head on your pillow, nothing again. Oh, little town of Bethlehem looks like another silent night. Yeah, yeah. He continues this way. While you're lying in the dark, there shines an everlasting light. For the king has left his throne and is sleeping in a manger tonight. That's a challenge. How odd is that? How odd is that against the backdrop of the kingdoms of this world? All of the things we do to ensure that we are in control, that we are in power, kings and leaders, they spend fortunes, they amass fortunes, all to guarantee they rule. How many years did Fidel Castro rule Cuba? In an instant. It's gone. The kingdoms of this world are but a vapor. And into the whole scene shows up a little king in a diaper. In the most bizarre way imaginable, the one who by his very nature is power. Not he's not like power. He may be power. By his very nature, this Jesus is power. He shows up and he's put into a stone trough on the backside of a barn used to feed cows. What a contrast. What a contrast. The everlasting light. The everlasting light has arrived into darkness. The promise of the prophet, the promise of Isaiah, it just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? God's promises are all fulfilled at that moment. All of God's promises, Paul tells us, are yes and amen in Christ. At that moment, all of his promises are fulfilled. On what was more than likely a very chilly March morning in a cave on a hill outside this little city. As if to say to all of human history, You've had your day. You've had your chance. I promise to fix what you broke, and I'm going to do it in a way that disarms every single power in this world. That's how the kingdom of God shows up. In humility, in absolute weakness, what is more helpless than an infant baby? Nothing. So in humility, in weakness, in an obedience child is born. The son himself is given. The promise of Israel is upon them, and the light of the world has dawned. You see, the song then turns to us here in this country. It says, United States of America, it looks like another silent night. And we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. And while we're lying in the dark, there's a shout heard across the eastern sky for the bridegroom has returned. America, what will we miss while we're sleeping? Will we go down in history as a nation with no room for its king? Some hard words. You see, we end up missing the truth that God, the king has come if we continue to fight and if we continue to wrestle in finding a person or a people or a government that fixes the dilemma that we find ourselves in. Can't do it. Can't do it. Why? Why? Because there's two reasons. 
Number one, we are the problem. We don't want to admit that. I don't like getting up in the morning and looking in the mirror in the bathroom going, you are your biggest problem. We're the problem. It's hard to fix from within that which is broken. You need something from outside. And number two, the person we're looking for already is king. Present tense. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. He is the king of the universe. He rules and reigns. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. You take a couple minutes to read Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 9, and you will find out very clearly that that's where he is. So all of the philosophies and the things that we fight over, which keep us in absolute chaos as human beings on this planet, blind us to this very truth. For to us, a child is born. And to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are some pretty powerful names. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be what? No end. No election cycle again. No $4 billion we have to raise. No more circus on the TV. Of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David, which we learned was the promise of God from the days of eternity, and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That means we don't have anything to do with this. This is a done deal. It's a done deal, finalized at his second coming. But make no mistake, every morning when you wake up, no matter how crazy the world looks, Jesus is king. No matter what we think, no matter how we feel, the baby born in a manger whom had no room in an inn rules and he reigns over everything. That's present tense, not past and not future. Here and now, this king rules and reigns and runs the entire universe. Not a hair of your head is unnumbered. Not a bird that falls from a tree is unknown. See, Tim Keller again says in his book, Hidden Christmas, Christmas tells us that despite appearances to the contrary, our good God is in control. You say that again. Christmas tells us that despite appearances to the contrary, our good God is in control. Don't let anybody tell you any different. The question for us is do we want to admit that now and allow him his place here? Or do we sleep through it all? That's the question. Do we sleep through it all? You see, I wonder, as I was putting this message together, I sat back in my chair in my office and I really wondered... How many people in Bethlehem slept right through the events of that night? How many? Completely unaware of the fact that the king of the universe was born in their sleepy little town, the city of David. They put their head down, another silent night, just slept right through the whole deal. Will we go down in history as a nation with no room for its king? Will we be God's people for God's world? Now, just a, a, a very quick aside here. Our duty is not to put the right person 
in power. Said that all summer, all fall. The right person already is in power. It's not our job to try and find the right person to run it. We don't take over the government and think that it's going to fix our problems. It's not. Back to here. We are to be God's people for God's world. How are we shining his light into these dark places? Because remember, Isaiah stated, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The only way you see a light is if it does what? Shines. So go home, hide yourself in the closet, shine your light and see how many people see it. Not going to be many, is there? See, do we believe this? Do we proclaim this? Or do we just read it and say, this is a really neat thing? Do we believe this and do we proclaim it? Do we live the truths found in Isaiah 9 here? Do we exhibit them every day as we're at work? When we look at that person that just needs someone to sit down next to them and say, how you doing? Do we do these things? Whenever we have opportunity, do we share? You see, Isaiah wasn't being fancy here, nor was he repeating himself in some sort of different way. No, the child born, 100% human, 100% human, entering into the world as a man. That's what he did. Prone to all that we're prone to, challenged with sin and with lust and anger, just as we were. That's what the scriptures tell us, whether we like it or not. He had to step into our reality in order to be sacrificed to end sin. Sin had its full work on Jesus on the cross. It lost. He had to do that in order to end sin. That's why he is the son who was given. God gave us his son, 100% divine. Jesus, Paul tells us in Philippians 2, that equality with God was not something that he could hold on to or wanted to hold on to, but that he would give it all up so that we could have it all. That's the beauty of the incarnation. Included in that is the redemption of all creation. Not just people. If for a moment you think that Jesus came just to save you from your sins and that was the end all, we're not reading Romans chapter 1. He came to save his creation. Included in that is his greatest creative thing, you and me. It's not an either or, it's a both and. All creation was saved by the act on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. This was never plan B. This was exactly how it was supposed to be from day one. It wasn't like Adam and Eve had, you know, the goof up in the garden and the Lord went, whoa, I didn't see that coming. We got to fix this thing. Here's how it's going to work now. No, this was the plan from eternity past we're going to discover that God the Son would walk among us in order that God's covenantal promises to fix what we broke would be fulfilled by the perfect Israelite Jesus of Nazareth. His name is Jesus, and he is the king. doesn't matter what anyone says or thinks. While the world slept, whoever they were when they put their head on their pillow, wanted or not, the king came to his kingdom to redeem it and to redeem his people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We sing about that. See that Bethlehem night some 2,000 years ago putting that little city of David some five miles southwest of Jerusalem on the map for the entire world to see. Why else would we be in Virgins, Vermont talking about this little hamlet 
that was a blip on the map, if anybody even knew what it was. There are no hope so promises here. As though our believing them is necessary to make them a reality. They are a reality. They are the promises of the living God. And he has given us the privilege of living and proclaiming them to a questioning and skeptical world and a skeptical culture. Who he is. We are not called to be in safe places and hide ourselves at home. Perhaps a friend has asked you, what is O Holy Night? The stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. What exactly does that mean? And what's the deal with the long lay of the world and sin and error pining? I mean, I thought we were getting better, weren't we? I'm trying my best. I thought we were getting better. Sounds silly? I don't think so. I don't think that's silly at all. We live in a time of such biblical ignorance inside the church and outside the church in post-Christian thinking that many people here in the country haven't any idea that Jesus Christ is anything more than the name you say after you whack your finger with a hammer. Could you answer that question? When a person honestly looks at you and says, this doesn't work, how does this make sense? Could we do that? Would we do that? That's the deeper question. Would we do that? Take a moment of your day to say to someone, let me talk to you about this Jesus. You see that little baby boy born in a manger. An historical event, not a myth, not a fable, an historical event in a place called Bethlehem, a literal place where this historical event happened. Well, most of that town laid sound asleep. He appeared and the spirit felt its worth. A thrill of hope, this weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks what? A new and glorious morn. A holy night. There's a conversation right there. This is just what this weary world needs. If you have a weary heart today, this is just what you need. But we have to stop hiding that light. That light. In love and in compassion, we need to say to us, a child has been born. A son has been given. And oh boy, that's a story to tell. That's a story to tell. And I leave you with this thought as we close and I can have the worship team please come up. I want to ask you this question as we start our Advent season. Is this a conflict for you? As if to say, I'm going to make sure that you understand that I am a believer and if you're not a believer, I'm going to demand that you accept my belief and you're going to let me do what I want to do. And then shut somebody out from the opportunity to share the gospel because of the way in which we approach them? Or are we going to see this as an opportunity? An opportunity to be a light in a dark place. To say to a world that is in desperate need of the truth of Christ, are we going to step into that? Are we going to do what the people of Israel did and turn that light inward and watch while this world spirals out of control? Or are we as the people of God going to turn that light outward and let it shine into the darkness? It's the question that I have for you this Christmas season. Because we have the ability and the responsibility and the call of this Jesus to proclaim to the world that its king has come. And he wants to heal our land and all of creation with it. If we could stand. I don't really know where this world finds you or where this word finds you this morning. I don't know. 
What I do know is that if you know Christ as king, we have the greatest gift that this world could ever know. And our responsibility is to share that. However we do that. The best way we can. And again, sometimes that's loving the unlovable. Forgiving the unforgivable. Being patient with that person that you just don't have any patience for. And saying, Lord, use me. Help me to be that person that is needed in this situation today so that I can do what your word says. I can be that light in a dark place. Sometimes you you hope for the opportunity, but then it shuts itself off. Sometimes you're not expecting the opportunity and somebody just all of a sudden is in front of you saying, why? Why? Can you help me understand why you're just a little peculiar? And you can answer it in a good way. Let's bow our heads. Father, as we encounter you in your word this morning, as we seek to bring glory to your name through the songs that we sing, I pray that this Christmas season, I know that each one of us here is in a different place. Some of us are struggling for the very first time in going through the holidays without a loved one. Some of us are struggling with sickness that we just don't have an answer for. Some of us are in the midst of career decisions, whether they be forced upon us or whether we feel we need to be stepping into those things. If I could have those who are prepared and willing to pray with people that you would take your place, please. I want to encourage you this morning. 